Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you all. My name is Brad Kendall, if you haven't heard that already. Uh, let's, let's pray before we head into our uh, time this morning. Um, as I was sitting here this morning, uh, Habakkuk 2.20 uh, kind of struck me. The, the Lord is, on, is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Why don't we take a time of simple silence, recognizing God's presence and his holiness. Lord God, we are grateful for silence. We are grateful for the opportunity to be in awe of who you are. I am struck right now, Lord, by the fact that you, your temple is your people. The Lord is in his holy temple, us. Not confined to us, but dwelling within us as well as all of creation and beyond, we are in awe, Lord. You are great and holy, worthy to be praised, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Well, uh, we have been in a series called uh, Prayer Life, where we are seeking to focus on uh, deeper intimacy with God through prayer, speaking to God, listening to God, um, and the, the message I have for us this morning is uh, born out of that particular series. It's not specifically about prayer, but if we don't have this part understood in our prayer life, then our prayer life really won't make sense. So let's start by getting political. Uh, we had quite a week in politics, didn't we? Uh, why did we vote? This week. Well, uh, fundamentally, I would say we voted because we wanted to participate in deciding who had power and authority to govern, right? And if you think about the changes that took place, there were changes in power and authority. Case in point, Democrats in, co in Congress increased their power and authority, while Republicans in the Senate, in the Senate increased their power and authority. Attorney General Jeff Sessions started the week with power and authority, but he ended the week without power and authority. The acting attorney general has um, power and authority right now, um, but and he has a certain power and authority over the Russia investigation that Jeff Sessions did not have over the Russia investigation because Jeff Sessions, the former attorney general, recused himself from his power and authority, but the acting attorney general has not recused himself from that power and authority. Now, we don't love the word authority in our country, I think. Why? Well, um, 
we have people in authority who have abused their power, right? But I think it's very important to know who has authority because we know they're the ones with the power. Case in point, let's get very simple. You walk into Home Depot to make a return. You bought something and you want to return it. You want to exchange it, okay? And so you walk in and you see me. And you see a Home Depot customer service representative. Now, to whom will you go to transact that return? You might say, hi, Pastor Brad. So happy to see you at Home Depot. But you're probably not going to make the return with Pastor Brad. Because I have no power and authority at Home Depot to transact your return. The wonderful Home Depot employee has power and authority in this particular transaction. If you were to transact that particular business with them, that would be well-placed faith. If you trust and depend upon me to make the return, that would be considered foolish faith because I don't have any power or authority to transact that return. Another example. Let's say you want a stop sign at the end of your street. Well, you could certainly set up a meeting with Pastor Shar, and I'm sure she'd be very sympathetic to your desire to get a stop sign at the end of your street. She might even pray for it. But she really doesn't have any power or authority to give you that stop sign. That authority belongs to your city officials. Putting faith in Pastor Shar to have that uh, to put up your stop sign would be considered foolish faith. What is faith? Well, to have faith is to believe in and depend upon. It's not just intellectual assent. It's I believe and I depend upon you to do X, Y, or Z. I believe the Home Depot employee has the power and authority to transact my return, and I will depend upon them rather than Pastor Brad to do so. That is faith well-founded in the proper authority. It has really no uh, bearing on the strength of your faith. Really, just so you know, the strength of your faith is not really all about you. The strength of your faith is dependent upon the power and authority of the one to be able to accomplish what you need. Case in point, Rick Drink, a good friend of mine, says you can have a very strong belief that a damaged plane will get you from point A to point B, but that plane might crash. Or you can have kind of fearful faith that a very, uh, uh, very well-run plane piloted by a very capable pilot will get you to point A and to point B, and that faith will still be accomplished. It's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon the power and the authority of the one to accomplish what you need. Okay, so the power of the faith is more about the one to whom you put the faith in and whether they have power and authority. And in our country, thankfully, we get to participate in the choosing of who has power and authority for governance. But who has power and authority over those with power and authority? Hmm. That's a very important question, because if no one does. If no one has power and authority over those who have power and authority, well, then those who have power and authority are the final arbiters of their power. 
And it would make sense. Oh, I have to put a lot of faith and hope in them because they're the final ones with the power and the authority. Or, very likely, I could despair because I don't trust them. I'm afraid they're going to abuse their power. But what if all the rulers, all the powers, and the authorities are actually subject to another power and authority? We've been in this series on prayer, and the issue of who has the authority and who has the power has an important bearing upon our prayer life. If you want to get something done, again, it's important to talk to the one who has the proper power and the proper authority. In Christianity, we put it this way, very simply, Jesus is Lord. Now, that word Lord has lost a fair amount of mojo in our culture. Uh, It's either a word people don't use at all, or it's uh, merely a word that we use to address uh, God. So Jesus' name, Jesus has a number of different names, Jesus and Christ and Lord. Jesus, uh, Christ, Christ will be his middle name, Lord is the last name. No, that's not the way this works at all. Lord is not Jesus' name, Lord is actually his position of authority. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 10, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Two important verbs there, declare and believe. So to be saved, to be rescued from Satan's sin and death, we must believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, and we must declare with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. So what are we saying when we declare that? What is a Lord? Well, according to the dictionary, it's pretty specific. A Lord is one who has power and authority over others. So when a person like yourself confesses Jesus is Lord, we are confessing Jesus has power and authority. And for a person to confess that someone is their Lord and has power and authority, that then entails that I will submit to that one who has power and authority over me. Now, let's just peel back the curtain. Let's, let's pedal backwards a little bit and look at this, that that text we just looked at in Romans, the book of Romans is written to Romans uh, who were Christians. And in the Roman world of the first century, all those who lived in Rome lived in the kingdom of Caesar, where Caesar was Lord. Not just politically, he was actually Lord cosmically, religiously, they felt. And, in, and this was displayed in their media. Okay, we have the New York Times and and the the Wall Street Journal. They had coins and pottery and poetry. And what you learn as you read a lot of the media of that time is you learn that the people to whom Paul was writing were confronted over and over again with the different media that said, for example, Emperor Augustus Caesar, God and Lord or Nero, the Lord of the world. If you lived in Rome at the time, Caesar 
was Lord. Caesar was the one with power and authority. In fact, in Acts 17, while Paul was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, the believers in Jesus were actually dragged before the city officials. Imagine this. You're dragged before the city officials. Why were they dragged before the city officials? Because of their politics. Their accusers shouted, they are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, the one called Jesus. The believers, in, a, in, a, in an atmosphere that says Caesar is Lord, the believers were saying, no, 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 no. Jesus is Lord. And so that confession, that declaration, Jesus is Lord, it's not a religious canta, incantation, you know. Believe the right thing, then say Jesus is Lord, then spin around three times, and you're saved. That's not it at all. No, Paul is telling us what kind of relationship we have to have with Jesus to be saved. We have to have a relationship where we trust that God raised Jesus from the dead and we need to submit to his power and authority because Jesus is Lord. Take this further. Guess what? Jesus is not just Lord of me and Lord of you. Jesus is Lord of all. And I want this to be a grain of sand that sits in your oyster (laughs) for the next uh, couple months. Because I found this to be one of the most incredibly helpful pieces of truth I could ever know. It affects everything We move through in life, especially prayer. Now, to say Jesus is Lord of all, that's a pretty controversial thing. Even in Christian circles, in Christianity, often we're more comfortable saying, I believe Jesus is Lord, but that's just my personal opinion. Right? You do you, I'll do me. That's just my opinion. Now, what produces a very strange statement like that? It's clearly not the Bible. I believe what produces a statement like that is the the belief that Jesus can be Lord of our hearts, but not Lord of all. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In Acts, the Apostle Peter says, you know, the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. All is pretty all-encompassing, isn't it? And Peter is saying this to Cornelius. Who's Cornelius? Cornelius is a Roman centurion who has pledged allegiance to Caesar as Lord. But Cornelius is going through a change in his life where he's realizing, actually, Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is the one to whom he should believe in and depend upon. He is Lord of all. If you think about it, Nero did not send Christians to the lion's den because people believed Jesus is Lord of their hearts. Dictators and despots throughout the history of the church did not kill Christians because Christians had an interior disposition that, is, that was religious. No, despots and dictators have thrown uh, Christians into prison because Christians have said, you're not the Lord of me. Jesus is. 
That's very subversive, actually. It's a bit scandalous in a lot of cultures. And when Jesus brought his disciples up on the mountain just before his ascension, this is really what the, his, the great commissioning of them to go make disciples, which we say is our mission here at, at Faith Covenant. When he, when he brought them up, he didn't say, I am now going to issue great, uh, a great peaceful feeling to people, and you're going to organize religious services so people can have people's peaceful feelings. No. On that mountain, he said, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples and teach them what? Teach them to believe all that the Lord, all that the one who has the power and authority to teach, teach them all that. All authority belongs to Jesus. He has the power and the authority. And the profession that Jesus is Lord is, it's scandalous. To confess it is to declare that there is an actual hierarchy of things, and Jesus is at the top of that hierarchy, and everything is submitting to him. Theologian Michael Bird puts it this way. He says, imagine you are in an extravagant hotel in Berlin during the 1930s for a dinner party. So you're in a hotel at a dinner party in Berlin in the 1930s, attended by a mix of lawyers and doctors and businessmen, and military officials, and suddenly a military official suddenly taps his glass and proposes a toast to the Fuhrer, Adolf Hitler. Then as everyone stands, you, being a committed Christian, alter, offer an alternative toast. You, everyone is startled as you utter the words in German, Jesus der Jude aus Nazareth ist der Wacher Fuhrer aller. Forgive my German. Translated, Jesus, the Jew from Nazareth, is the true leader of all. You probably won't have long before the Gestapo comes and takes you away to a very nasty place. Not because you have a religious feeling, but because you have declared Jesus is the Lord over the Fuhrer. Now, I think understanding this in the context of our politics is incredibly wonderful and freeing, especially in the day of identity politics. In identity politics, my side has to win. Your side has to lose. God is on my side. God is not on your side. But the Bible says Jesus is Lord of all. So that being the case, Jesus is the Lord of Donald Trump. And Jesus is the Lord of Nancy Pelosi. And Jesus is the Lord of the Koch brothers. And Jesus is the Lord of the caravan. And Jesus is the Lord of your transgender neighbor. And Jesus is the Lord of the NRA. The NAACP, the ACLU, the Muslim down the street, and the Hindu in the next cubicle. The great theologian Abraham Kuyper was right to declare, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It all belongs to him. Or as the Apostle Paul puts it in Colossians, he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that ev in everything 
he might have the supremacy. Scholar N.T. Wright writes, If Jesus is not Lord of all, Jesus is not Lord at all. I'll say that again. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. And what he means by that is the very nature of his lordship, his power and authority, has to be all-encompassing or it would not be right to call him Lord. Thus, to love Jesus as Lord is to love Jesus' lordship. What am I trying to say here? Well, think about it. Lordship implies power and authority, and in some senses, we fear that. I want to be my own power and authority. Maybe I'm comfortable with you having some power and authority over me, but I don't want anyone to have all power and authority. I want the kingdom of God to be a democracy, but it's not. Throughout human history, I get it, the fear in uh, the, the, uh, people in power have abused their power and authority. And people have gotten hurt. So it, uh, it often makes sense to fear power and authority. I mean, what if the one I call Lord abuses their power and authority? That's our biggest fear, isn't it? But Paul in Ephesians 6 writes, Grace to all who love our Lord. Jesus Christ, with an undying love, a love that never ends. The idea of loving a Lord who has power and authority, it feels like I'm giving up my rights. I mean, I love Jesus, my Savior. I love Jesus' goodness, his kindness, his love and compassion, his mercy and grace. But his Lordship, do I have to love his Lordship? I get it. Uh, but I don't think we're being called to love one in power and authority who wields lordship through lies and manipulation and abuse. That's not the Lord we worship. We're being invited to love a Lord whose goodness and kindness and love and compassion and mercy and grace cannot be separated from his lordship. All that is good about Jesus is good because he is Lord. Everything you love about Jesus cannot be divorced from his lordship. I'm here to tell you this morning, our Lord is good. And the love of our Lord, the one who has power and authority, his agape, his self-sacrificing love never ends. And it's because he's good and kind and loving and compassionate filled with grace and mercy, that we can be confident that our submission to his lordship is actually well-placed faith. To trust in and depend upon someone who is good and loves you more than you could ever love yourself. That's well-placed faith. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do we not do what he says? Because we don't trust that our Lord's power is good. But if Jesus is God, and we believe he is, 
If Jesus is God and God is love, then loving his lordship actually makes sense. To do what the Lord, who is good and loving and kind and merciful and gracious, to do what that Lord says is actually well-placed obedience. John 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Thus, we can say, while Jesus is Lord of all, he is also Lord for all. Not all lords are lords for all. There's only one Lord who is the Lord of all and the Lord for all. And our Lord has used his power and his authority to do battle for all. For God loved the whole world, not just a part of it, and sent his son so that we might have eternal life, so that we might be rescued by a Savior who is Lord of all. So when we pray, it makes sense to speak to the one who has the proper authority and power to actually get something done. Let's pause there for Q&A. If you'd like to answer, ask, if you'd like to answer a question, <laughs> I'll send you, I'll send it to you at this uh, phone number. No, uh, I'm going to invite Shar up. Uh, we're going to do some Q&A here. I hope you have a great question for me. If you're new to Faith Covenant Church, we do this quite a bit. I was reserved the right to be wrong. Shar, of course, is always right, so... If uh, I'm wrong, hopefully she'll have it right. So, how about that one? All right. So how do we reconcile that Jesus, who has authority over all, has allowed Satan to have power in this world? Well, um, that's a great question. Um, and... I'll say a couple different things. One, the, the, the word allowed is important because that is the way the Bible talks about these things, that Satan has only the power that he has been allowed to have. Um, and, and you can carry that question a long way, okay? It, and it's a, it's a great question. It's a question that people have been um, wrestling with throughout the centuries. If uh, Jesus is Lord of all, why does Satan have power? Why is there evil and suffering, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I'll say this, and uh, I'll speak to it a couple different fronts. One, um, we don't, nowhere in the scriptures do we say we worship uh, a puppet master as Lord, okay? Um, the, the story, the narrative in the scriptures is a narrative where people have volition to uh, reject or accept Jesus' lordship, okay? Um, God's lordship, if you're going through the Old Testament. Um, the other thing the scriptures are very um, specific about is that uh, the Bible is, is written from a warfare worldview, okay? So it doesn't, it doesn't um, tell a, a story about where uh, God reigns over all and everyone suddenly falls in line because that would be 
a puppet master. It tells a story of people who have a choice to love the God of love. And in that type of narrative, there is no way around the fact that not only people, but heavenly beings, like Satan, um, that angels and humans can reject that authority. That doesn't mean, like, you know, um, you can live in a particular kingdom and reject the authority of the king, but that doesn't mean he's not king. All right? So, uh, and the scriptures also tell the story that this narrative is, has a, a turning point where um, that which opposes the Lord is um, no longer able to oppose the Lord any longer, and we move from there into new heavens and new earth, but that's a whole different sermon. All right. Why do people pray to saints? Okay. Um, well, that's an... Okay. Uh, l- let me hit this on a couple different fronts. Um, first of all, in, in line with the actual message here, um, to pray to a saint actually would not make sense because you are praying to one without the proper authority and power to accomplish what you're asking. Now, um, I have some good Catholic friends, and they would say, Pastor Brad, Catholic teaching is not that we pray to saints, okay? Um, So uh, while Catholic people do, there are Catholic people who do pray to saints, that is not official Catholic teaching. A Catholic teaching is such that um, when you, uh, essentially when you, when you are praying, when you're speaking to a saint, praying to a saint, you're not praying, you're asking that saint to cooperate with you in prayer. So in the same way that, you know, I might say, Hey, Ryan, I'm going through a tough thing. Would you pray for me? Um, I might say to Ryan, to Shar, please pray for me and Saint so-and-so pray for me as well. And so in Catholic teaching, I did, and I'm just want to give integrity here. I don't want to, um, because I have Catholic friends, and they'd say, you Protestants are always misreading what we're saying on this front. Um, uh, what they're saying is, Pastor Brad, um, the Holy Spirit is in Ryan, the Holy Spirit's in Shar, the Holy Spirit is in St. So-and-so, so can't you ask Ryan and Shar and St. So-and-so to participate with you in prayer? Um, that is uh, why po- Protestants push back against that, is we don't really have... Uh, a biblical testimony that calls us to do something like that. That would be, we would say, uh, well, the way we pray has to kind of be formed out of this, and we don't see those types of prayers in the scriptures. So, is there another one? Um, Can you give a practical example of the difference between Jesus as Savior and the Jesus Jesus as Lord? Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's a great question. So, um, you are in um, a lake. You've swum out to, you have swum, you have swam. I don't know. Uh, you're out in the middle of the lake and you're drowning, okay? <laughs> and a boat comes to you. And uh, uh, that boat stops near you as you are uh, going underwater. And that person in the boat reaches out their hand. And they say, Grab my hand, and I will save you. Okay? So you grab their hand. They pull you in. 
And they have saved you. They are your savior. They have given you salvation. They've rescued you from drowning in the lake. And then you say, ah, my name is Brad. What's yours? Oh, my name is Prince so-and-so, or my, my name is King so-and-so. Oh, my goodness. My savior is a king. You see how um, Jesus being our savior is referring to Jesus, what Jesus has done for us. His status, his authority, his place in all of the cosmos is he is the king of all things. Does that make sense? All right. Let's, um, you don't have to stand. Let's be done. I'm going to pray, um, and, then, and then we'll be done. Sure, you can stay right there. <laughs> um, what I'd like to do right now is I would like to offer, offer an opportunity. If you're here today and you've never... Uh, cross the line of faith. Maybe you've said, you've said before, okay, I, I believe there's a Jesus. I believe he might be the son of God. But maybe you've never said, and I want to declare that he is Lord. He is the one who has power and authority, and I want to submit to that. If, if you'd like to do that for the first time, you've never basically given your life to the king, to King Jesus, I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that. And I'm going to ask everyone to, to, to close your eyes. And um, if, if you've never done that and you'd like to, I'm going to ask you to be bold and to stand. Is there anyone here who would like to do that for the first time? Now I'd just like to say a prayer. And that prayer can be as simple as this. Lord Jesus, I admit I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe you died and rose again. And I commit to submit to you as Lord of all things. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and empower me to follow you all the days of my life and into eternity. And for all the rest of us, Lord, we are grateful you are our Lord. We love your Lordship. We want to love it even more. So help us understand how good you are so we trust you even more and enliven these truths from your word so that your power flows through this church and through the church worldwide so that all may know our Lord is good and he saves. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite Ryan up and... Uh, we're going to close with the doxology again. If you have a prayer need, there'll be some people right down here in front who would love to pray for you. Come on down.